<clears throat> it is confusing, life. Sometimes life doesn't make sense. Sometimes God doesn't make sense. The Bible acknowledges that trouble. It acknowledges that puzzle. The Bible talks about uh, the, this very real understanding that life doesn't always fit together, that, that sometimes we don't understand why things happen. Particularly, why do bad things happen to good people? Over 30 years of ministry, I've been in that situation often with folks who were dealing with stuff that, that it didn't seem uh, to, to be understandable. It, did, it was confusing. It didn't make sense. How do we deal with that? Well, the Bible, as I say, uh, doesn't ignore that fact. In different parts of it, it gives us uh, aspects or insights into that answer. Genesis talks about uh, that fact that life doesn't make sense in its own way. Then the Psalms talk about it in a slightly different way. The book of Ecclesiastes, another perspective. The book of Job, as the Bible ends in the book of Revelation, it tells us that that everything will be made clear, everything will be made known at the end. But we're not at the end, although we could be close. We're not there right now. So how do we react? How do we live when God doesn't make sense? For the next five weeks, including today, we're going to be talking about the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is part of that section of Scripture that maybe the pages are stuck together in your Bible. They're probably white because there are no notes. Uh, you've never heard a sermon. I've never heard a sermon from Habakkuk. It's between Nahum and Zephaniah. And he said, thanks, that helps me find it. But I am telling you, this is a very modern book. If I could sum up the book of Habakkuk, I would say it tells us to have strong faith in confusing times. We live... In confusing times, don't we? It's hard not to be concerned about the state of our world, the state of our nation today. It's hard to be just apathetic and watch things go by. And even more, when personally our lives threaten to fall apart, we need to know the lessons of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is a book that is part of what's called the Minor Prophets. In the Bible, there are 17 prophets. Five of them we regard as major prophets. Twelve of them we regard as minor. The reason that we call them major and minor is not about their importance or their value. It's about the content that they wrote down for us. It's about the length of pages that they comprise. The five major prophets in my Bible, 191 pages the 12 minor prophet books only comprise 61 pages. Habakkuk only has three chapters, but they were power-packed. I believe if you'll stick with me through this series, you will see that these words can make an impact in our life. I encourage you to, to stick with it. Today's going to be kind of grim. Chapter 1 is kind of grim. But if I could outline Habakkuk for you, I would tell you in chapter 1, it's faith tested. In chapter 2, it's faith taught. In chapter 3, it's faith triumphant. We could describe Habakkuk's personal journey this way. We don't know a lot about him. 
He doesn't talk a lot about himself, but we can describe his personal journey this way. Chapter 1 is argument. He's actually arguing with God. Chapter 2 is answer. God answers him. And chapter 3 is acceptance. Habakkuk is a very modern book. Listen, God does not mind your questions. In fact, I would encourage you as you have questions to ask them to God. I think uh, I'm concerned and as God is concerned when you turn away and quit talking, when you turn away and don't ask anymore. Habakkuk is a book that Howard Hendricks says that Habakkuk is a man with a question mark for a brain. He has those whys. He's in the first chapter asking. In the second chapter, he's waiting. In the third chapter, he's praying. J. Vernon McGee says, Habakkuk begins with a question mark and ends with an exclamation point. It is a journey that all of us can take. I hope that we will take. You see, as Habakkuk moves from chapter 1 to chapter 3, we see him move from fear to faith. We see him move from burden to blessing. We see him move from perplexity to praise. We see him move from confusion to confidence. And we see him move from worry to worship. That's my hope, that in these times we share together, as we look through these pages of these old writings inspired by the Holy Spirit, that they will help us similarly Even though we don't understand it all, even though it doesn't all make sense, it will help us to trust and to have a stronger faith in God. So let's begin by looking at verses 1 through 11. In 1 through 11, I see three issues that Habakkuk has. Now, let me set the setting for you. Habakkuk is written by, as I said, a man we don't know much about. Habakkuk's unusual in that most of the prophet books have the prophet getting a message from God to share to the people. Habakkuk's different. It really, those three chapters are about a conversation Habakkuk has with God. He's not really carrying the message to the people. It's just recording their interchange together. And in Habakkuk, the the setting, the historical setting is this. Habakkuk lived in the, the nation of Judah. The date is about 605 B.C., That's important to understand because the nation of Judah only has 20 more years to be in existence. You see, the the nation of Judah followed this pattern, and maybe we can identify it in our lives. They they would go through periods of strong faith and where they'd be on fire for God, they'd be close to God, and then they'd fall away. And they'd be tempted, and they'd start doing things that God didn't want them to do. They, They wouldn't give God much attention they would sin. They would fall into periods of sin. And, and then God would uh, try to raise up a, a good king and bring them back to God. And they would repent and confess. And then shortly thereafter, they'd fall apart, fall away again. Well, when the good king Josiah died, 609 B.C., uh, rapidly things deteriorated in Judah. N- rapidly, people, even the leaders, began to do things that were immoral and ungodly. And there was a great state of perversity, a great state of depravity in the nation. So 605 B.C., when Habakkuk is written, 605, Habakkuk has questions. He asks God, 
and God seems to be silent. He has unanswered prayer. That's his first issue, unanswered prayer. Uh, Verse 2 says, how long, God, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Unanswered prayers. Maybe you have unanswered prayers. Maybe you wonder, where is God? A godly mother prays for her wayward son. He was raised in the church. He went to Sunday school. He knows the Bible. But when he left home, he left it all behind. For many years, his mother has prayed for him. But to this day, he remains a prodigal son. Where is God? Does he hear her prayer? A wife prays for a husband who left her after 23 years of marriage for a younger woman. He seems utterly unreachable. And the marriage heads swiftly for divorce. She prays. Does God hear her? A husband prays for his wife who has terminal cancer. She has six, maybe seven months to live. None of the treatments stop the rampaging tumors. The elders anoint her with oil and pray over her in the name of the Lord. She dies five months later. Where is God? A young man prays fervently for deliverance from an overpowering temptation But the struggle never seems to end. The more he prays, the worse the temptation becomes. Where is God? Does he hear? Maybe you've wondered that. I can just tell you, I can assure you, that God always hears our prayers. But sometimes the answer is not yes. Sometimes it is wait. Sometimes it is no. I don't get that, but God does. Habakkuk really is saying, God, don't you see how bad things are down here? Why don't you do something? Don't you see that these leaders and these people need to change? Bring a revival. Bring repentance. And that's a great prayer, but... But God chooses not to respond in that way. And when God does respond, it won't be in the way Habakkuk is asking. Psalm 10.1 says, Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide hide yourself in times of trouble? He just seems to be silent. You keep praying if you're asking, if you're praying. You keep asking the questions Don't turn away from God. Continue to talk to him. Habakkuk's first issue is unanswered prayer. His second issue is uncontrolled perversity, not in his own life, but all around him. Verses 3 and (laughs) 4. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There There is strife and conflict abounds. Boy, that sounds like our times. I don't believe you can look at the decline in moral values in our nation, in our culture, and know that we are on a decline. There are things that are legal now that 50 years ago would have been unimaginable to be rampant in the land. Billy Graham says, if God does not judge America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. 
It is true. Now, from the Old Testament to the New, we see God move more from dealing with nations as a whole to individuals. But I want to say to us as the church, it's important for us to get our own house in order. And I, I do think that we want to hear that. But I also want us to understand that there are sins of commission. That is things we do that God doesn't want us to do. But just as bad are sins of omission. When we're supposed to say something or do something and we don't do it. The church needs to be heard. The church needs to be the body of Christ. And listen, we have a challenge, a culture war going on. And we need to hear and see this issue is right here with us. This world is a scary place. Have you ever heard of the dark web? The dark web's a, a walled-off section of the internet. You, you have to have certain knowledge to get there, but this dark web's not a place you want to go because there are all kinds of immoral activities that are being connected, networks that are developing and have developed there where people traffic in child pornography, terrorists communicate and collaborate, all kinds of, of nasty stuff going on there. That's the kind of world we live in. It's important for us to understand and recognize that. It's important for us not to sit idly by. But first, let's get our house in order. If there are areas of our life that are not what God wants them to do. We need to lay those before him and, and have confession before him. Repent, turn away, and come back to him. Habakkuk's asking, why don't you judge these people? Why don't you do something? <laughs> well, God does do something. That's the third issue I see here, he gives an unexpected answer. And God does that sometime. He gives us a curveball, if you will, uh, an answer that we didn't expect. In this case, I think uh, Habakkuk's saying, God, we need a revival. You need to change this. And I've heard preachers talk about verse 5 out of context. They don't preach from the whole book, but they'll quote verse 5 of chapter 1, and they'll say, see, this is about the need for a spiritual revival. That's not the context here at all. Look what it says in verses 5 through 7. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. So the preacher stops there usually. God's going to do something you don't expect. But look how he answers Habakkuk's prayer. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings, not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Everybody feared the Babylonian Empire because they were cruel. They were vicious. Listen, when they would go into a place and conquer a, a country, they would pile up skulls in the town square uh, to caution the people against rebelling against them. They would take the kings, and if they didn't kill them, they would put hooks in their cheeks and lead them through town in chains. 
And what we see here, you can't get around the fact, is, is that God, because of the sins of Judah, because the people have turned away, he's getting their attention. He's bringing discipline to them in the form of these ungodly Babylonians. Unexpected. Yeah. But I want to caution you and help you to understand two things. One, God is sovereign. He is over everybody, every king, every nation, every power. And he can use and bring messages in all kinds of ways. The second thing is this. I want you to see that if we love, if we care, then we discipline. As I have been a father now for quite a few years, I understand that. If I see my kids going down a path that is going to bring bring negative consequences, it's going to bring destruction that even could lead to death. If I see them going that way, I'm not going to stand by and do nothing. I'm going to bring to bear negative consequences Not to condemn, not so much to punish, but to turn them back. And that's exactly what God's trying to do. Now listen, in 605, the Babylonians invaded, but Jehoiakim rapidly conceded. He was the king, the bad king, the wicked king of Judah at the time, and became a vassal king. But the nation of Judah didn't learn from that. They continued to go their own way. And so 20 years later, or 19 years later, 586 B.C., the, na- the city of Jerusalem was totally destroyed, and the people, the nation of Judah, ceased to exist. They were sent into exile. We need to understand that God is serious about the way we live as a people, the way we live as a church, the way we live as a nation. Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. If we sow godly seed, God blesses that. He brings up a good harvest. But if we sow selfish, sinful seed, It's going to bring consequences. We need to hear that. The people of Judah needed to hear that, but they didn't. It's out of love that God disciplines his children, and he uses unexpected means, even the Babylonians. Now, you might say, well, how did he use and how did he bless the Babylonians? Listen, read to the end of the book. I encourage you to keep coming back and follow through the story, the whole story of Habakkuk. The Babylonian Empire didn't last long. They were destroyed by God, the sovereign God. But in this instance, they are used as a means to bring the people of Judah back to repentance. So let me give you three insights. The three issues we've addressed, three insights, three conclusions from these first 11 verses. The first is this. We see only part of the picture. We see only a part of the picture. Life doesn't make sense, but that's because we don't understand all of life. We don't understand all about our life. Let's imagine you have a picture 
painted by Rembrandt, a master artist. You have a picture painted by Rembrandt, but you're an ant and you're crawling around on it. You're an ant man or an ant woman. You're an ant crawling around on this portrait and you're on a section that's brown. And you're like, ugh. But then you hit some green. I mean, green might be your favorite color. It might perk you up. That's Josh's favorite color. And then you go into some red. Woo, yeah. Then black. Blue. Depressed. You don't see it all. The, The palette is not complete. All the colors don't mesh together. That's like life. See, we have different seasons of life, different experiences. We can get caught up in the experience that we're in, the season that we're in, and make decisions that are not cognizant of the whole. We can not in any way understand all of the picture. We have limited insight, even about our own lives, much less other people's lives around us. It's a a valuable reason to be humble. But we need to embrace that and understand that as we don't make sense of life or we think God is not making sense about this thing we're praying about, we need to understand and realize we only see part of the picture. God wants to work a masterpiece in our lives. Ephesians 2.10 says that uh, God wants to save you and then he wants to, for you to use the gifts that you have to do good works the word in English is poeto. It's, a, it's the word we get poetry from. It's the word that talks about a masterpiece. God wants to bring all the experiences and seasons of life together in your life to create a beautiful masterpiece. But if we get caught up in only what we can see, we can get off track. Secondly, God doesn't fit in our box. Boy, we want to, to bring God down. We want to deconstruct God to, to get him into this box, we can understand. If we don't say that out loud, we sure try to do it. We, we try to either put God on the shelf or, or make him small enough for us to understand, don't we? I don't know about you, but you think about the consequence of that, it's, it's not pretty. If God fits in our box, then he's not big enough to control everything. He's not big enough to bring about ultimate victory in the end. He's not big enough to overcome death and Satan with forgiveness and redemption, the blood of his son giving us the ultimate victory. God doesn't fit in our box. We want him to. Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. He doesn't just snap. Oh, when we call, he doesn't just snap to do whatever we say. When 9-11 happened, I remember how people were, for the first time, our national leaders were united. They came together in these remarkable displays of unity. I remember the Sundays after 9-11, churches were filled with folks. There seemed to be this national revival, this turn back to God, but I want to say to you what happened then because three months, six months later, people drifted away. What happened then was for a short period of time, people turned toward God, but they didn't turn to God. And there's a vast difference. 
When, when, when you turn toward God, it means you give him your attention for a little while. But when you turn to God, it means you surrender your life to his. It means you give him priority. He is the priority in your life. Not your will, but his be done. When you turn to God, you allow him to start to influence the decisions, the relationships, the actions in your life. I want to have a God who doesn't fit in the box, and I don't believe he does if you read his word. You see, the third insight is this. We need a bigger God. I think Habakkuk, this book tells us we need a bigger God. If God is small enough to understand, he's not big enough to worship. Habakkuk wanted God, he thought God was ignoring Judah's sin. He was correcting God in this argument in verses 1 through 11. He thought God would send a revival. He didn't think God would use the Babylonians as judgment, as a means of negative consequence because of the sin of Judah. But God is bigger than we can understand. But I also want you to leave today hearing what I'm about to say. This, if you stop here, is depressing. But trust me, as you see the rest of Habakkuk, and as I've experienced and seen life, I have seen that we can trust God because he is bigger than anything we can ask or imagine. We can trust God because his heart is to be loving and merciful and gracious. His heart is to bring about blessing and productivity and fruit in our lives. This big God who's all more than we can ever ask or imagine, he can bring about in our life more than we can ask or imagine. You can trust God. You can, as you turn to him, not just toward him, but to him, you can have, grow in your life, faith that overcomes. That's why Habakkuk is a, about strong faith in confusing times. I don't know what the future is going to hold, but if we go down the track we're on as a nation, I can assure you we are headed for some tough times. We need strong faith for the days to come. TV series, Friday Night Lights. One of those episodes, I'll never forget. I don't remember most of the ones I saw, but one of them was about the coach who gave his players these three phrases that he wanted them to repeat over and over. He'd write them on the board so that the players could understand and know these phrases. He wrote up on the board, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Maybe you write those down and repeat those this week. Because I can tell you, we might not make sense of everything that happens, but if we have clear eyes, eyes that are focused on Jesus, as it says in Hebrews, the author and perfecter of our faith, if we keep our eyes focused on Jesus, he will keep us on the right path. If we allow him to have full control of our heart. If he has first place. Have you thought about that if your heart's full of yourself, it can't be full of God? 
Have you thought about if your heart is full of your career, it can't be full of God? If your heart is full of material greed, lust, can't be full of God? Clear eyes, focused on God and His Son, Jesus. Full hearts, full of God, dedicated to Him. Then we can't lose. I've read the end of the book. At the end, those who are against God will be judged. Those who are for God and have lived for Him will be in His presence forever. In a place where there's no more death, no more disease, no more mourning, no more tears. Strong faith has its rewards and has its blessings. Yesterday we said, see you later, to a saint, one of the founding members of our church, Sally Collin. Sally had such strong faith. Her early years were spent going through the great and growing up in the Great Depression. But she had an unshakable, immovable faith in God. She didn't understand everything that went on just like none of us do. But she trusted and believed in God. And today she's received her reward. Let's be strong. Let's be tough. Let's have clear eyes. Let's have full hearts. Fathers, we think about these things today. I pray that you have maybe shocked us, but not to harm us, to bring us back to you, to think about what really matters, to think about how we live, to think about how we can where we need to personally confess sin, I pray that we're doing that right now. If we need to repent, change the direction of our life, help us to do that starting today. Father, I pray that you would give us clear highs and full hearts, that we wouldn't be ambivalent, we wouldn't be torn, we wouldn't be all about other things, we would be first about you. And I trust that even though it all doesn't make sense, I trust you. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus and to take him at his word. We do that today, Lord. Increase our faith. Make us strong. Make us tough. We pray in Jesus.